You're fired. You're fired. I'm doing this show alone. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Caitlin doesn't like my dirty jokes. <laughs> Welcome to The Worst Thing We Read This Week, where we talk about the books that we hate to love and love to hate. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Savannah, otherwise known as a straightforward presenter. And welcome back to our podcast. Disclaimer, so no one sues us, we don't hate books and we don't hate authors. We love both of them, which is why we buy a hard copy of the book that we will be reviewing every week. We just like making fun of problematic tropes, characters, and some really fucking weird world building. So, uh, Caitlin, before we get into things, do you want to tell us about our episode release schedule? Oh, I would love nothing more. (laughs) Since these episodes are not spoiler-free, here is an updated book list so that you can follow along if your heart desires. (laughs) This is such a lie. (laughs) It's the three cups of coffee. (laughs) Um... On the 12th of November, we have Attachments by Rainbow Rowell, and on the 26th of November, we have Tempted by Kristen and PC Cast. Cool, cool, cool. What are you drinking for this episode? I'm drinking my third cup of coffee. What are you drinking? Um, obviously, you can tell by my inability to speak in complete sentences, I had another one of the, uh, organic caffeine cans (laughs) that my roommate keeps buying for me and leaving in the fridge, um... The tagline, as I have mentioned before, is caffeine, exclamation point, we want it. (laughs) Which we do. Which is is accurate, we do want it, and that is how I feel as I'm drinking. So this week, as a treat, we have probably our most recommended series. I am just going to read the summary of Matched for you. Cassia has always trusted the society's choices, and when her best friend appears on the matching screen, Cassia is certain he is the one. Until she sees another face flash for an instant before the screen fades to black. Now she is faced with impossible choices. Between Xander and Kai. (laughs) Between the only life she's ever known and a path no one dares follow. Between perfection and passion. Society matched them, but love set them free. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so this is purely based off of a love triangle. In case you didn't pick oh, up yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the conflict is the love triangle. Since that summary didn't give much insight into literally anything that will happen in the book, and because we're in a bit of a strange world-building situation, we wanted to go through and set the scene for you, just so you know what you're getting into, know some of the rules, know the kind of place that our main character Cassia is living in before we get into the plot. So Yeah, let's talk about this weird fucking governmental system. I just want to point out that in the book, everything that could be capitalized is capitalized. So if we put special emphasis on a word, I just want you to imagine that it is capitalized and has become a whole thing. So to start off, one of the weird things that happens in the society, as you can probably gather from the title, is matching. Um, The goal of matching is twofold, to provide the healthiest uh, possible future citizens for our society and to provide the best chances for interested uh, citizens to experience successful family life, capitalized family life. Um, (laughs) It is of the utmost importance to the society, capital S, that the matches, capital M, be as optimal as possible. So 
there's that. And then we get a little bit more. Please consider carefully whether you are a good candidate to be matched. Remember, singles are equally important to the society. Capital as S. You are, <laughs> as you are aware, uh, the current leader of the society is both is a single. Both matched and single citizens experience full and satisfying lives. However, children are only allowed to be born to those who choose to be matched. So I guess my question with singles is, can you date if you are a single and choose not to get married like what is your what is your life look i that doesn't make sense though because i feel like that would be prohibited we don't find out the answers to any of these questions there's none but i feel like that would be prohibited because their whole thing is that you can't make your own choices so choosing not to get matched but still being able to date feels like a loophole in the system you know yeah yeah also when they say that the leader of the society is a single does the leader have to be a single or can they be someone matched and that's just how it worked out? How do they choose their leader? Who is the from? leader? Where do they go? <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, the last thing, so there, okay, so we've covered people who are matched. We've covered people who are single. Uh, now we have aberrations. Aberrations live among us. They're not dangerous like anomalies who have to be separated from society. Though aberrations usually acquire their status due to an infraction, they are protected. Their identities aren't usually common knowledge. Only the officials in the society classification department and other related fields have access to such information. So basically, aberrations just don't have as many privileges as people who are matched or single. And anomalies are completely separated from society singles are single and matched are they have their basically their future planned out for them yep they get married someday i assume they have kids oh the only other thing i want to mention about them like about matching is matching is held as a banquet on that on the girl's 17th birthday uh so those are the three main categories of people well i guess four four main categories of people matched single aberration anomaly i keep referring to the aberrations as abnegation because i keep forgetting which dystopian series we're in if i say abnegation (laughs) i do not mean uh someone from that other book divergent um that's the one (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) moving on from main categories to actual society rules keeping in mind these rules have come about after only two generations. Cassia mentions that her grandfather remembers a time before the society and he and her grandmother were kind of instrumental in helping to implement these laws, come up with them, enforce them, whatever. It has been two generations since normal life. (laughs) So one rule is that your family is allowed to keep one artifact if it's been passed down from the time before the society. Cassia has a small golden compact that used to have makeup in it, but does not anymore. So now she just holds it and looks at it. We'll get a description of that later. What if your family didn't have anything beforehand? You just, like, don't have an artifact? I don't, what is the point of you just, like, having, you can have, like, one personal effect and then everything else is just from the society like you don't have any of your own clothes you don't have any of your own anything you just have this one like i guess the impression i get yeah i mean i guess sentimental value but that's cool. like it 
Uh, we get a bit of insight into the jobs that are available. So Cassia wants to be a sorter. They're kind of the most important people since everything in this world is based off of statistics. Um, see matching <laughs> above. Um, a, a couple other jobs. Her parents, uh, her mother works as a gardener. And her father works as a restorer, which is apparently just a job where they burn shit all day that the society does not want to exist anymore. So he's just out there, like, shoving books into a tube. Because everything is based on probability, words like luck are illegal. And if you use them, you'll be picked up by a van and carried off and never seen again. I'm extrapolating a bit there, but Cassia says something about how, like, oh, I feel so lucky. And this official is like, don't ever say that. <laughs> I just don't understand how statistics and math and probability and logic can all add up to a 17-year-old growing up and still being paired well with someone at the age of 21. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. How, how the fuck do you determine that? How do you determine what type of person they're going to be to know that they're going to have a successful marriage? Right. And they act like, throughout the entire book, they act like they have this whole database of knowledge of exactly what you're going to right. do. And if there's anything out of the normal, they're super concerned. I'll get into my opinion on that once we've gone through the plot a bit. But it's very strange how scared everybody is uh, when they're not, they call it precise with their language. They're like, we have to be precise to say exactly what we mean. And if we don't, I don't know, officials are going to take you away forever. I don't, I don't, we don't know. On top of that, they have gotten rid of all forms of creativity other than a very, other than a handpicked selection of 100 songs, stories, paintings, and poems. They say that it's for the best, and how can we appreciate anything fully when overwhelmed with too much? So make that make sense. This happened within two generations. What if you're one of the artists who's getting all of their work just shat on and, like, burned in an incinerator? Are you just going to be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. It wasn't that important anyway. Another thing to keep in mind, technology is, it, like, makes the world go round in this story. But it's on a need-to-know basis only. So you are not taught things outside of your, like, assigned job. Yeah, it's such a it's such an obvious control tactic that I just want to know who thought this was a good idea and supported this, you know, two generations ago <laughs> when things were normal. Um, but to move into some geography for you, they mention a, the outer provinces, capital O, capital P. Uh, you can read that as the outer districts of the Hunger Games. <laughs> If yeah, you please. It's the same thing. Yep. Uh, they're described as uh, on the geographic fringe of the society where life is harder and wilder. Sometimes people refer to them as the lesser provinces or the backward provinces because they have so little order and knowledge there. There's a higher concentration of aberrations there than in the general populace and even anomalies, some say, though no one knows for certain where the anomalies are. They used to be kept in safe houses, but many of those stand empty these days. Are anomalies... Their version of people who should be in jail, but they're mm -hmm. not in jail? Where are they? Like, <laughs> she says multiple times, no one knows what's going on. And that's true. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing they're very clear on, because it's relevant to the plot, is that when you're 80, you just fucking die, I guess. They kill you. Like, 
<laughs> we'll get into a more specific example of uh, a character who experiences this. <laughs> recall the giver. All I can think of is Caitlin made me start watching Glee, and because it's I hate so it. bad. Like let's let's just we clarify here. Yes, yeah, so we it, because it's so bad and so entertaining. She needed to be a part of this cultural phenomenon that shaped our childhoods and you don't even know it because you've never seen it didn't shape my childhood (laughs) um but it's shaping my early adulthood so now all i can think of when i'm reading these paragraphs about the 80 year olds getting murdered is sue from glee when she's on her little news report and she's like just euthanize them yes so thanks that my mind has been poisoned and that's how sue sees it it. (laughs) the children (laughs) maybe sue is the leader of this society for real though they also state that they have essentially eradicated all illnesses and any probability that you will like almost any probability that you will die outside of the 80 years that you're allotted to live but I'm just like, I, how do you guarantee that some sort of freak accident is not going to happen? You know, how do you like eliminate death outside of old age? Right. I feel like death is something that happens unexpectedly all the time if someone has a heart attack or if someone who was otherwise healthy and in good condition or I don't know if a meteor falls out of the sky and hits them. I don't know. I ran out of examples, but... <laughs> They t- they say mental health as well. They were like, if we let the 80-year-olds live older than 80, they'll just get depressed and be useless. <laughs> Pretty much. And I was like, first of all, that's extremely rude. I talk to multiple people on the phone every day who are calling to check up on their standing, and we have mostly coherent conversations, and most yep. of them are over 80, living their lives and taking care of themselves. So that's terrible. Um, also, they say that depression and anxiety and whatever don't exist but and i think this leads into your next point they have everyone has medicine specifically for anxiety so obviously they haven't eradicated it but they pretend it doesn't exist but then everyone shits on people who are who have anxiety and need to take medication for it so yeah so leading into that everyone carries three little pills one's blue one's green and one's red and they like basically as they grow older they earn the right or responsibility to be able to hold their own pills and it's just kind of like what's the fucking point but we'll get into those later Um, all these little children are going around like with their monday through sunday (laughs) pill boxes yeah like what the (laughs) hell and then these are just kind of like little tidbits that are just kind of dropped on you throughout the book but don't make any sense and don't really get any explanation per se um number one it's briefly mentioned that people cannot have children outside of the age of 31 but obviously you are still fertile after the age of 31 so do they do four sterilizations uh the next one being they've eliminated handwriting but that's never really explained like why did you get rid of handwriting just so that they can like monitor everything that you're writing i don't know make that make sense they also one of the things that cassia uh sorts in her job is things like eye color and just like essentially 
the impression I got was her job was to make designer babies. Yeah, I, I get got that the impression Im- too. I get the impression <laughs> that everything is genetically modified to make something perfect. But don't you worry, she does mention that there are many different ethnicities. So at least it's not all just whitewashed. <laughs> yeah. Not not in our characters necessarily, but like Right, they exist. right. No, that's They're asking too there. much. <laughs> Were they in this novel? No. <laughs> Food is specifically designed and distributed to each person depending on what they need in their life. So regardless of where you eat, your meal is always the same whether you had it at home or you had it at school or you had it at work. It is specifically designed for you. How big is this society? How many people are in it? They make it sound like there's multiple provinces with different geographical uh, markers, and so I'm just... It seems a lot larger than it could sustainably be. Y'all have a general idea of what kind of world we're working within. You know exactly as much as we do, (laughs) which is not much. Uh, So let's jump into our plot, Cassia's fascinating life. On page five, we get some more information about her artifact, which she is very attached to. She says, It's a compact. I like the name very much. Compact means small. I am small. I also like the way it sounds when you say it. Compact. Saying the word sounds like the one... (laughs) Saying the word makes a sound like the one the artifact itself makes when it snaps shut. And at that moment, I was like, oh, so it's this kind of dystopian novel. Yes. (laughs) Like, like you are so deprived of all outside stimulation. You're just sitting there opening and closing your compact. Like, compact. Compact. Yep. Yep. (laughs) We're also opening the novel on her matching ceremony. She's sitting there waiting for the matching to begin and... You just get lines like this throughout the book. I think this is the only one I'm going to highlight just so that you can kind of get a grasp of the fucking language that's used, but it's so complicated, the matching. And I am again reminded of the intricate steps of the dances they used to do long ago. This dance, however, is one that the society alone can choreograph now. She felt clever writing that. Oh, I hate it here. Matching ceremony, like we mentioned earlier, happens on the 17th birthdays or-ish around that time. Um, So all of the girls are going based on their last names. Cassia is extremely nervous, waiting to find out who her her forever life partner will be. I'm just going to throw in this note. (laughs) I remember reading this book long ago, and the only thing I remembered was the matching ceremony. And I've always thought, like, you know what? If that were a service, I would take it. Like, sure, just find me a person, assign Mm -hmm. me someone, get Mm -hmm. it over with. And I believe I said that on a dating app once, and the girl I was talking to just stopped responding. (laughs) So, um, not everyone is of that opinion, but (laughs) just throwing that out there. But Cassia has a surprise in her matching ceremony because she is special. Um, So she's talking about how... She thought that the girl who went earlier than her would stay single, and she's just surprised that she's been matched, and the person she's matched with is so attractive, and then Cassia's turn comes. But the screen is dark, and it stays dark. That can only mean one thing. And that's the end of the chapter, so I was like, ha, that's what you get for saying mean things about Leah, Cassia. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. You don't get matched. <laughs> or so um, we thought. <laughs> or so we thought until the very next page when they're like, your match is here this evening. And she's like, oh, could it be my best friend ever? <laughs> so it's actually just a boring normal thing, which I hate. Which they give everyone who's matched, they give... um they give everybody like a micro trip with information about their match on it because typically you you don't know who you're matched with you don't actually know that person so she gets a micro chip with xander's information on it and she's like but i don't need this i don't need to download a list of favorites to memorize because i already know them favorite color green favorite leisure activity swimming favorite recreation activity games <laughs> And I just, what kind of, like, leisure, like, games? Just games. Just games is your favorite activity. (laughs) And it's not a simplification. That's literally his entire character. Games. She expresses that she is, that's, this is when she says, oh, I feel so lucky. And the official is like, shut the fuck up. We don't use that word around here. (laughs) And they also tell her that apparently they knew which dress she was going to pick. Um, Obviously, if you've seen the cover of the book, the theme is green. And she talks a lot about how she loves green and her dress is green and her eyes are green and the cover of the book is green and everything is green and the hill is green and the grass is green and blah, blah, blah. She remembers picking her dress and them telling her, that's the one you are most likely to pick. Your personal data indicated it. Um, why are how we sorting though? data? Like, what kind of dresses people are going to pick? Why is that? Like... I honestly can't tell if the society officials are just bullshitting everyone and every time they do something, they're like, we knew you were going to do that. (laughs) Because that's the impression that I'm getting at this point in the book. Why the fuck would they sit someone down, an actual adult with a job, and say, hey, we need you to figure out what color of dresses these girls are going to pick? Because if they pick a different one, probs there's some sort of rebellious activity going on. So matching ceremony's over. Takes a little while for anything else interesting to happen. But we get little crumbs of hints that Cassia knows her grandfather is going to die soon. And that it's not going to be a natural death. So, feels a little uncomfy. Um, You find out, like we mentioned in the rules, that everyone dies when they're 80 and her grandfather is coming up on his 80th birthday. So they go to visit him and kind of have this awkward, weird, very strange ceremony to see him off where it's like a funeral, but he's still alive. (laughs) She mentions multiple times that she's very close to her grandfather, and he's supposed to be this kind of snarky old man who has all the jokes, capital J. He says, let's get this over with, grandfather says with a spark in his eye. Uh, Some of the solemnity leaves the room now that the committee has gone. Everything's going very well, Grandfather says, handing the tube to my father. I am having a perfect death so far. (laughs) Oh, Grandpa, (laughs) you funny, funny jokester. (laughs) Everyone just kind of politely laughs in response, because what else do you do? (laughs) Her father winces with an expression of pain. (laughs) Like everyone around me when I tell jokes. Grandpa dies. Um, And that's, like, sad, I guess. I don't know. No one really shows emotion. So, right, we don't really know anything about him, and everyone's just like, this is sad, but normal. (laughs) Right. Anyways, in the meantime, Cassia has watched her microchip, and 
there's a, Xander's face pops up and then it slowly dissolves and Kai's face pops up. She also knows Kai. Kai is also in her hometown. So she immediately, you know, starts thinking about Kai and she's like, oh my gosh, why would that happen? Why would his face pop up on my microchip when I matched with Xander? Well, you originally get the impression that they don't really know each other. They just know of each other. But then as the book goes on, like, Kai Kai is constantly hanging out with her group of friends. So, like, they're clearly a lot closer than she originally lets on. Anyways, they all go to see a movie, her and her friends, and she's sitting in between Xander and Kai, as you do. They're watching a movie which basically, to me, I got the impression that the movies that they watch are all pro-society propaganda. Yep. So <laughs> they're like, let's go watch a fun movie for this evening. And they're like, before the society, everything was death and destruction. <laughs> they're watching this movie and she says the scene is overdone. It's ludicrous, especially after the quiet scene at Grandfather's that I witnessed on Sunday. This isn't what death looks like. One of the actors falls to the ground dramatically. Garish red bloodstains cover his clothing. I hear Xander give a little snort of laughter next to me and I know that he feels the same way I do. Feeling bad that I've ignored Kai for so long, I turn to him to share the joke. He is crying without a sound. What is going on in this book? I get the impression from this scene specifically that Cassia growing up in this inner suburban area is kind of like we're following someone who grew up in the capital and has no realistic idea mm-hmm. of what's going on and is watching these kids die in an arena and is like, haha, good fun. This happened two generations ago. I understand how quickly people can forget about traumatic events or not even forget, but how much later generations can feel removed from those yeah, events. yeah, yeah. But it just seems like this whole society has sprung up overnight very quickly. Yes, and, no and everyone's just questions. accepted it. Yeah, yes. yeah. So as one of the placating gestures that the government throws out to keep people in line, um, they are allowed to choose their free rec activities. And they have a very limited option, a very limited, um, they have very limited options, obviously. But Cassie is like, you know what? I would like to hike because my grandfather loved hiking. So Kai has also chosen to hike and they get together in this group. They're hanging out and very first day they go to this place called the hill, which is implied to be one of the last places that actual nature exists. (laughs) And the officer welcomes them and then says, I'm your instructor. You will address me as sir. And one of her friends responds, do we get to go on the hill? The officer fixes him with a gaze and lawn wilts. No one, the officer says, speaks without my permission. Is that understood? We all nod. We're not going to waste any time. Let's get started. And then they go to the base of the hill and he's like, get to the top of it. This is some very intense hiking. God damn. (laughs) That instructor is one of the only characters in this book with a personality. So at least we're mixing it up a little bit. At least he's throwing in some zest, you know? There, uh, zest is a word you could use for that. Um, But not Savannah because she doesn't have a zester. I don't have a zester. All, literally all the fucking recipes I've gotten recently are like, and pull out your zester. Who the fuck has a zester? Anyway. Like chefs or something, I don't know. (laughs) Right? Like fancy, I'm not a fancy pastry chef, HelloFresh. So, 
There's like no, there's no defined plot here, so it's so hard to transition from point to right. point. Cassia is monologuing in her room to herself, talking about the pills, because how else are we going to get backstory unless the character just sits down multiple times through the book and tells us? She's talking about the three pills that you get, the red, the green, and the blue. The green is supposed to be for if you're feeling stressed, so anxiety, which apparently you are allowed to take once a week, but any more than that, and the government will get suspicious. So no daily anxiety medication for you, only once a week. It's like ultra super fast acting Xanax. Mm -hmm. Like the second you take it, you calm down. Yes. So she's remembering when she very first got her green pill and showed it to her grandfather. She's showing him her tablet and she's like, I think I might take it because I have a report at school coming up that I'm really nervous about. And her grandfather says, I wouldn't take that tablet, Cassia, not for a report and perhaps not ever. You are strong enough to go without it. She calls back to this for the rest of the book where she's just like, I'm strong enough to go without it. It's such a strange message to send because on the one hand, you know that the intent is to say, don't take the pills so that you are basically uh, not complacent with society. Like, it's supposed to be a little bit of an act of rebellion to say you don't need this thing that the society is giving you. But on the other hand, it seems very much like a let's stigmatize taking medication for your anxiety. You know, so... Anti-anxiety meds, the choice weapon of any good fascist government. As mentioned previously, her and Kai have hiking together. They go hiking every single day, unless there's bad weather. Her relationship with Kai just kind of, like, instantaneously starts. For example, they haven't even really interacted, but they're having a conversation on the hill, and he says, what are you thinking about? I tell him the truth. The color of your eyes. My answer catches Kai off guard, but after a second, he smiles. I love his smile. In it, I see a hint of the boy that he was the day at the pool, which is the first time that she met him. Were his eyes blue blue then? I can't remember. I wish I looked more closely. Again, this is like one of their first times interacting one-on-one. Another thing... (laughs) So we have Cassia's grandpa before he died. He asks her to bring the compact to his funeral. And he opens up the the compact when they're having a conversation and pulls out a piece of paper that's been hidden inside. The piece of paper is poems that were saved from before the society started. So it's not one of the 100 poems. So Cassia reads it, memorizes the words, and then has to destroy the piece of paper with the poems on it which however she's is it the full poem because that is a long fucking poem that she (laughs) just memorize like reads once and then can recall from memory completely yeah i don't i don't know i mean good good on her for all of her memorization skills i guess but i i think my favorite part about that whole thing is She's been walking around with that compact for, you get the impression, like, a long time. (laughs) And her grandpa just allowed her to walk around with this treasonous piece of paper. Like, what happens if she accidentally opened up the compact, the paper falls out, and everyone's like, ooh, what is this? Uh, Like, treason. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, thanks, grandpa. The biggest takeaway from the poem is, it says, do not go softly. So it's basically like a- Do not go gently. Do not go gently. (laughs) 
I mean, probably don't go softly either. Like, <laughs> that's like it's Dylan Thomas, right? I'm looking it up. Uh, I sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. You're the poetry person. I believe it. Yes, Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. So don't go gently. It's like a. It's like asking people to to act, and you know, obviously, uh, not be complacent. So, the society also offers a benefit at the end of your life, if you've lived a good enough life in the eyes of the society, where you can have a swab of your DNA taken, and they will put it into a storage facility for later use to hopefully bring you back to life once technology progresses in that direction. So, her grandpa has a has a swab taken from him. It's given to her father. Her father has to turn it in the next day in order for it to be preserved. Her father never does so. You later find out that her father intentionally destroyed the sample per her grandfather's wishes. So Cassia is thinking about the words of the poem uh, that her grandfather gave her in that secret compact, and the words in it are, do not go gently into the something night whatever the fuck i don't really gentle into that good night (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah so it's a poem about rebelling and she's basically like there's no reason to not it's mostly just about like living your life well so that you don't die feeling like you have just slipped away quietly and never done anything with your life i can see where they take it as a rebellion emblem or whatever Cassia says, there's no reason to rebel. Look at what the society gives us. Good lives. A chance at immortality. The only way it can be ruined is if we ruin it ourselves, like my father did, because my grandfather asked him to. And I was like, this is our dystopian heroine? (laughs) This boot-licking motherfucker is our dystopian heroine? It would be like if the Hunger Games was from some young girl's perspective who lived in the capital and agreed with everything they said. Right. Which, sure, I can get the impact of somebody who is living in a society that is wrong, realizes it's wrong, and defects. I get that. But we're mm-hmm. almost past the halfway mark here, and she is still defending the society, sees nothing wrong with it, and is angry at anyone who is going against it. And her only motivation is that Kai is hot, so yeah, keep that in mind. Um... Speaking of how hot Kai is, <laughs> uh, we have had no more interactions since the last interaction that Caitlin mentioned. This is their second real in-person interaction alone, besides all of the times they've apparently hung out since childhood. She and Kai start talking. She tells him about the poem, her deepest secret. She's actually just really bad at being subtle, and he sees her reading it and is like, hey, you need to be more careful. Right after that is when her father admits to purposefully destroying the sample. Up until this point, she thought that it was an accident. So he tells her she's super pissed. And her first thought is, I will try, uh, like, I have to be strong, stronger than my father. I will try to forget all of these bad things that she thinks she's done that aren't really bad. And then I will try to forget that Kai said home when he looked into my eyes. Girlfriend, you've spoken to him twice at this point. He was telling you about how he was an orphan and was ripped from his parents and then was adopted, but, like, altogether, you've spoken for about ten cumulative minutes. Like, I think we need to chill out a bit. I don't think he was talking about you. 
But let us remember that the whole conflict of this book is a love triangle. So now we gotta show some interactions between her and Xander. Her and Xander are sitting around, sharing some ice cream. He gives her his last bite of ice cream. Was there anything in the guidelines about kissing? Anything I should remember? I asked, teasing Xander. There are no rules about kissing, Cassia. We're matched. And then, as if I needed any more confirmation that the society knows what they're doing, that this is the match for me, the taste of Xander's kiss would convince me. It feels right, sweeter than I expected. Why is she so fucking awkward? We shared a spoon. We're practically kissing. Is this flirting? Nudge, nudge. Is this flirting, Cassia? Also, what do you mean we'll stay single and the games will never end? Like, do they send the singles off to their own Hunger Games? No, <laughs> that's why on? That's why I think that they're able to date around. I don't know, though. And when is this, when are these kissing games scheduled in in the children's schedules? Uh, like, right? Are they like, okay, kids, it's time for you to go and make out a bit with your friends down the street? <laughs> then we move to a scene where... Cassia is again hanging out with her nameless, personalityless friends. Her friend M, she is the one that she has mentioned, takes the anxiety pill more often than most of the people that she knows. So her friend M, while they're playing the games, is having a panic attack, and they kind of surround her because apparently, if you have a panic attack, someone will throw you in a dark van and drive you away. I don't really know. Like they act really scared that the officials will see but this sounds like a normal thing that the officials are familiar with. So they surround her to block her, and she tells them that she has already used her green pill for the week, and she doesn't have another. Kai encourages Xander to give her his pill, since he usually doesn't take them. He does. Crisis averted. But this lets us in on the fact that Kai couldn't give her his pill because Kai, as an aberration, doesn't have tablets. Um... What do you mean aberrations don't have tablets? It sounds like this is a generally, not common thing, but something that happens to enough people in society that everyone is familiar with the rules. Like, if your parents or a family member commits a bad enough crime, then you become an aberration even though you haven't done anything. And it just doesn't make sense because Cassia is mentioning that there are rumors that the red tablet is a death pill. So the green pills help calm your anxiety. The blue pills you can use as nutrition in case you are ever in an emergency, stuck somewhere where you can't get to food. They will act as food for a few days until you can get back to the society. And then she says that even though officials have laughed at the notion that the red tablet is a death tablet, the rumors still persist. What is this Jonestown? Like, right. haha, it's probably a death tablet, but you're telling me no children or teenagers have tried to experiment with that before and taken it right. just to see what it will do. Like, I feel like everyone would know if it was a death tablet, and that's why I didn't really believe that line of thinking. If you're not going to tell people what the red tablet is for, why are you making them carry it around? Because that would be my fear is children or people getting curious and testing it out just to see what it does. Like, why right. would you just let people carry that around then? I don't understand. Right, and you're giving this to six-year-olds. And, like, I guess not six-year-olds. I guess you don't get the red one until you're older. But, like, some sort Even of child so. age that is inappropriate. <laughs> it also doesn't make sense that aberrations don't have it. Because if this is not a death tablet, or even if it is a death tablet, whatever it is, it's obviously something used to control people. Because whenever the government comes out with 
an right. announcement that you were supposed to take it, you have to take it. Why not give it to the aberrations? Because then they don't have anything to control them. And they're the people that you want to control the most. Like, what do you mean they don't have tabs? <laughs> also, another thing to mention about aberrations that we didn't mention before, uh, they also can't get matched. So, Kai is an aberration. He cannot get matched. He cannot carry pills. He also Which has a makes shitty no job. Sense. No he has a sense shitty job. No pills. No match. The shitty job makes sense. That's fine. Fuck Kai. <laughs> but then you get like little seeds of doubt because as her feelings for Kai grow, she starts to question question the matching process in general because she's like, well, if I was truly meant to be with Xander, why would I be feeling this way about Kai? Then she realizes that her father's been keeping secrets from her mom. Like, just not huge secrets, but secrets all the same. And she's like, so their match isn't perfect after all. The moment I think it, I wish it back. If their match isn't perfect, then what are the chances that mine will be? And I was like, is this the conflict? Like, is this it? Is this the conflict of the book? I We're 162 pages in. I'm still not sure what the actual conflict is other than... She is matched to Xander and really is interested in Kai. On top of her questioning the matching system, she's also starting to, like, question more about her grandfather because she always got the impression that her grandpa was also very into the society. And she's like, why would he give me this poem? I I don't understand. Am I supposed to fight against authority? I might as well have asked if he wants me to commit suicide because that's what it would be. I wouldn't actually die, but if I tried to break the rules, they'd take away everything I value. A match, a family of my own, a good vocation. I I would have nothing. I don't think grandfather would want that for me. So, (laughs) again, we go back to Grandpa, why did you let her hold this treasonous paper in her compact? <laughs> if he it's gives a her fate, no other information. If it's a fate worse than death. Her grandfather is like Castle from the Shatter Me series. Where he's oh my like, god. I get this information, but I'm going to wait until a dramatic moment to release Tee-hee-hee. it. Maybe you'll die. <laughs> On the same vein of treason, we already mentioned how fucking handwriting is apparently illegal and you can't write by hand anymore it all has to be like done on your tablets one day on the hill she sees kai drawing or i'm sorry writing in cursive like in the dirt and she's like oh my god will you teach me so he teaches her to write cursive in exchange she starts teaching him or telling him parts of her poem she's like but can i trust him i i have to trust him can i do it i remember thinking of the angels from the stories when i went to my match banquet i don't see any angels and they don't fly down on their cotton soft wings to whisper in my ear can i trust this boy who writes in the earth someplace deep within me is (laughs) is it my heart or perhaps my soul the mythical part of human that the angels cared about tells me that i can that was a really long-winded way of saying she is going to oh trust my god. <laughs> there are just tiny details that don't make sense like cassia is constantly complaining that she has to wait for a more convenient time for her to check her little love letters are there no bathrooms right in this society like, right every time she's like i had to wait until everyone was out of the dining room and then in the middle of the kitchen i pulled it out and subtly read it under the table or 
I went and, like, sat in my closet under my clothing. Like, I had to go throughout the whole school day. I'm like, do you either, either you never go to the bathroom and they've, like, conditioned that out of people or they videotape the bathrooms? Like, there's security cameras in there? They oh. genetically modified them so they don't have to go to the bathroom. Fun fact. Right. It's in the right. text. That was something. <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> um, also, if you do have to go to the bathroom, they have predicted how long it will take you to go to the bathroom every time. And if it takes any longer, then probably you're planning a rebellion on the toilet. And probably, so yeah, yeah, The yeah. van comes and takes yeah, you yeah, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the van is in the text, too. If you look for it, there's, like, a van that comes up, and Cassie will be like, and then this van came and picked up Em off the street, and we never saw her again. Weird, huh? The windowless white van was not actually in the book, but its presence was, its presence was, like, uh, it's the same vibes, you know? Yeah. I got white van. I'm reading between the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the ways that Kai and Cassia's relationship blossoms is Kai starts slipping Cassia these dirty napkins that he's drawn (laughs) on. (laughs) Where he draws and, like, writes little weird cryptic messages on them. And... He's basically telling her... Wait, are you going to describe the napkin? Because I would just like to point out it's described as brown and pulpy, smeared and used. <laughs> what has he been using it for? Is he using it as toilet paper? What, <laughs> what is, is the brown pulp? pulpy? <laughs> <laughs> That's so gross. I just... I, just, I have to know... <laughs> But he's, like, trying to tell her about his past life and, like, give her this little bit of him and whatever. Here is my question. A little bit of him. You're fired. (laughs) You're fired. I'm doing this show alone. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Caitlin doesn't like my dirty jokes. (laughs) So let me ask you a burning question, Savannah. If handwriting is illegal, what the fuck is he writing with? Where is well, he getting pens? Well, you see, Caitlin. if you make another shit joke, I am going to leave this session. I'm going to stop actually, recording and I'm going to leave. I wasn't going there. Now we're coming up on uh, my personal favorite part of this book. M, who is Cassie's best friend. She has her matching ceremony after Cassia. As we know, M has a lot of anxiety. She has a lot of anxiety. Cassia offers to give her her compact as like a soothing thing and also so that she has an artifact because M M's family does not have any artifacts. So M gets caught with this artifact and somehow that then translates to The officials are coming around, gathering up all of the artifacts, and taking them away from everyone. Now, Kai has slipped Cassia one of his artifacts that is not registered. All of the artifacts need to be registered. So at least, like, Cassia has one, but it's a quote-unquote legal artifact. She has Kai's non-quote-unquote legal artifact in her her house. You might call it illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Three cups of coffee, Caitlin did not think that far ahead. I just, you know, we're just going for it. So she sneaks into her house as the as the officials are gathering stuff up. 
Xander offers to take her artifact and hide it for her. So you get this little piece of information that Xander is a little bit of a rebel. The officials come into her home. Her and Bram, her little brother, are sitting there as they take their artifacts. And the official says, The government has decided that artifacts promote inequality among members of society. We request that everyone turn in their artifacts for catalog and display at the museum in each city. This was the exact moment that I realized I was reading anti-communist propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) And you find out that not everybody is happy with this society. There are hints throughout the book that are very obvious. Like, for example, there are less peacekeepers, oh, I'm sorry, officials with a capital O, available to monitor things like free rec time for the teenagers. Cassia notes that there's less monitoring at her school, so you get the impression that something is going on that is taking these officers away. But instead of exploring that or wondering about that, we have to have a whole scene where Xander and Kai play the games, and it's a metaphor for their relationship with Cassia. Yes. It's very Uh, subtle. It's very well done. (laughs) You would never expect that that's what's happening. (laughs) But Kai and Xander are playing, and Cassia somehow recognizes, because she is an expert on patterns and body language, that Mm. Kai has been throwing games. Uh, He's been purposefully losing. He's always purposefully mediocre at everything he does. And she assumes this is because he's trying to hide from the gaze of the society. Uh, And somehow he always ends up perfectly in the middle of everything. Always. Take that as you will. He and Xander end up playing a game of chance. A card game. And they end up tying. So Xander takes Cassia out in the hallway. And he's like, hey, have you noticed that Kai is throwing the games on purpose. And she's like, well, he didn't lose tonight. Xander is, Xander is like, yeah, I've also noticed he's throwing the games. It's easy to throw a game of skill, especially when it's a big group or a game like check when you can put your pieces in harm's way and make it look natural. So I assume chess is what we're going for. Yeah. Um, But today in a game of chance one-on-one, he didn't lose. He's no fool. He knew that I was watching. Xander, you literally just got through explaining that it was a game of chance. What are you talking about? And they're like, he's this megamind genius who chose to tie with me in this game of chance. Okay. And then Cassia takes this information and uses it to compare her boyfriends. So... Yeah, we're a little over halfway. It's about time for a comparison between the love triangle. Here's what we get. Xander is my match and my oldest friend and one of the best people I know. When I kissed him, it was sweet. I'm drawn to him and tied to him with the cords of a thousand different memories. Kai is not my match. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very well thought out pros and cons list. Um, But he might have been. He's the one who taught me to write my name, how to keep the poems, how to build a tower of rocks that looks like it should fall but doesn't. I have never kissed him, and I don't know if I ever will, but I think it might be more than sweet. It is almost uncomfortable, this awareness of him, each pause, each moment when he places a piece on the black and gray board. I want to reach out and grab his hand and hold it to me, right over my heart. (laughs) Right where it aches the most. I don't know if doing that would heal me or make my heart break entirely, but either way, this constant hungry waiting would be over. They Um, are so evenly matched. (laughs) Tahara? Tahara, is that you? 
Is that also, Juliet's heart calling? I love when she points out that Xander and Kai are evenly matched because I was like, that's the story I want to read. Give me a story where Xander and Kai accidentally get matched. <laughs> well, and they it, are both more interesting than you. Uh, the other thing is, is like, they're not, to Cassia, they are not even in her mind. Like, she clearly favors Kai. <laughs> right. We get the obligatory eye color scene where they stare into each other's eyes and talk about it. Oh, man. Um, And I had to read this with my very own eyes, so you do, too. You have to listen yep. to it with your, I your was... ear eyes. Obviously, we've got Cassia and Kai, because fuck Xander. So she asks him what color his eyes are, finally. The question that's been plaguing us. No, I know it's Blue. been plaguing me. <laughs> uh this book is a plague yeah um blue he says sounding surprised they've always been blue not to me what do they look like to you he says puzzled and amused not looking at my mouth anymore looking into my eyes lots of colors i say at first i thought they were brown once i thought they were green and another time gray they are most often blue though like has anyone ever fucking heard of hazel eyes here apparently not what are they now? He asks. He widens his eyes a little, leans close, <laughs> and lets me look as long and as deep as I want. Uh, and there's so much to see. They are blue and black and other colors too. <laughs> and I know some of what they've seen and what I hope they see now. Me, Cassia, <laughs> what I feel, who I am. Well, Kai asks. Everything. I tell him they're everything. <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God. <laughs> but you can't in this book. There's no religion. This is almost worse than the Midnight Sun scene where Bella's eyes were like pudding and fish and I don't know, a bunch of other shit. Tea and chocolate and I don't know what. Please don't insult uh, Midnight Sun this way. Uh, <laughs> this book is way worse than Midnight Sun for the record. <laughs> Well, and because of this single scene, because Cassia has stared into Kai's eyes and he's seen her soul, she decides, I cannot go gently now. Girl, where were you gently going? Where are you going? <laughs> like, are you going to go rage against the government because you like Kai's eyes? No, I thought not. Give me a break. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> This is also the part where I realized that I was correct when I assumed earlier that the government is bullshitting half of the things they say they've sorted. Because yes. Cassia has apparently been acting differently than they predicted, whatever. Probably they just saw her making moon eyes at Kai, and so they're like, hey, send an official down to take care of that. And her official shows up and she's like, Cassia, teenagers are hot-blooded and rebellious. It's part of growing up. In fact, when I checked your data, you were predicted to have some of these feelings. Like, first of all, teenagers, like, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to guess. If you're going to match people when they're 17 with their eternal life partner, everyone, obviously teenagers are going to have hormones. So she's acting like that's a revelation. And on the second hand, I don't think that, like... <laughs> Whose job is it to sit there watching Cassie's information and be like, you know what? I predict that she's going to be real horny for Kai's eyes. Like, right. Whose job is that? <laughs> and what a waste of fucking time. Well, and in the same vein, she's having this whole conversation with the government official who is telling her, she's basically warning her against her relationship with Kai. They're having this conversa conversation about being matched and Cassia essentially commits another act of treason where she is like, <laughs> 
I don't feel like anyone should be matched. I feel like we should all choose who we want to be with. And the government official says, where would it end, Cassia? She says, her voice patient. Would you say next that people would be able to choose how many children they have and where they want to live or when they want to die? (laughs) Cassia, you stupid slut. Why would you, why would you ever think that people have the right to choose? So again, again, anti- communist propaganda right there let's go anyways continue this is the selection being like what do you think people should be able to vote in a democracy you idiot oh my god oh so cassia realizes that they're on to her and her feelings for kai and she decides that she is going to stay away from him keep him at arm's length at all times except the very next time she sees him in which she encourages him to kiss her on the cheek and describes how close she wants to be to him and they talk about poetry so basically she wants to keep him safe but she wants to make out with his face even more and the latter wins out um also kai gives me three gifts for my birthday a poem a kiss and the hopeless beautiful belief that things might work someone gave me that for my birthday they are cut from the friend list. Oh, man. Uninvited to the birthday party. Yeah, That's agreed. what I'm going to get you for your birthday. The hopeless, beautiful belief that things might work out. Mm, love that for me. Then we get to my favorite part of the book. <laughs> it's mentioned that Bram, Cassie's little brother, is a bit scatterbrained, and he's always kind of running late places. He really didn't want to go to school when he was six, and... She's describing this scene on his first day of school where the train comes to pick up the kids, the parents are dropping them off, and we all are probably familiar with kids going to school for the first time being upset and crying a lot until they get to school and realize they're not going to die. All of the other students apparently just get on the train. I don't know if they're drugged or what, but they're like, bye parents, I don't care. Yeah. Bram is upset and he starts crying. Initially, his mom is like, oh, it's okay, you'll be fine, just get on the train. But as he keeps crying, officials start looking at them, like, and you start getting that that impression of the white van again. Yeah. <laughs> the white windowless van. And so Cassia steps in and starts arguing with him and, like, convinces him to get on the train. She's like, I knew if the crying kept up much longer, we'd be in trouble. Back then, an official assigned to watch out for problems lived on each street. So she starts arguing with him and sees the official coming closer. And she's like, out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone knocking on the official's door at the house right next to the air train stop. No, Bram already has too many citations from the care center. (laughs) He's fucking six. What citations? (laughs) They're like, why are you cried at mealtime? So he gets a citation. Are you going to make a six-year-old an anomaly and send them to work on a farm? Like... But alas, I mean, we jump more into the woes of Cassia's relationship with Kai, and our time together feels like a storm, like wild wind and rain, like something too big to handle but too powerful to escape. It blows around me and tangles my hair, leaves water on my face, makes me know that I am alive, alive, alive. There are moments of calm and pause, as there are in every storm, and moments when our words fork lightning, at least for each other. Clearly, all of my past relationships have fucking sucked, because I have never experienced anything even close to forked lightning. And that was in Midnight Sun, too, so this is a recurring theme. Apparently. 
since Cassia is unable to put aside her growing attraction for this rebellious orphan son, the officials decide to test her. Because she's about to graduate school. She is notably one of the most talented sorters that they have, which is just described as finding patterns in numbers on a mm-hmm. screen. So I yep. don't know how that translates. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like literally scrolling numbers yep. and she has to like pull some out yep. and put yep. them in a bin. Yep. Do you know how that translates into real life? Move yeah. right on. Um, they assign her to a real life sorting that will determine her job. Uh, it's kind of like a, like a, uh, interview, real life job interview. Yeah. And the people she is sorting are, um, the laborers that work and take care of the food that is distributed to everyone. And everyone knows they work in less than great conditions, but, uh, she, uh, and she knows that Kai works there as well. Um, but she realizes when she gets there that their hands are always burned because everything is hot and they don't give them gloves. Seems like a really simple thing to solve that problem, but they don't give them gloves so that can protect their hands. So everyone's getting burned and everyone gets sick there a lot earlier and they're just working on this conveyor belt like 12 hours a day. And she's supposed to sort the fastest ones to move to a better job. Um, they tell her, like, find the people who are going slow, we're going to increase their hours and punish them, and then find the people who are moving fast and they deserve a better job, and we will move them out of the province. She realizes that Kai is in this group that she's supposed to be sorting. She's upset about sorting him and sorting everyone because she's like, this is a horrible thing nobody should have to do. But then she starts thinking, well, if I sort Kai into the higher group he'll get to leave this shitty job, but also he'll be sent to a different province and I won't get to see him anymore. She's like, I know he belongs in the more efficient group. He might have to leave the city, but at least he wouldn't be trapped here forever. Still, I don't think I can do it. What would my life be like if he left? So again, fuck Kai. (laughs) But then ultimately she does decide to put him in the higher group. Now, believe me, when I tell you I lost my shit reading this. Okay, recall from our Midnight Sun episode how I said I thought this was like a Utah Mormon book and I wasn't sure why I thought that. Well, then I realized that she, that Ali Condi lives in Salt Lake City. (laughs) And then I read this scene. Her mom is a gardener. She was called on this special mission She goes out to this countryside, and essentially what her goal is, is she needs to look at these new plants that people have not discovered before, and determine whether or not they are viable food sources, and if they are uh, being grown in rebellion. Because it's illegal to grow food sources that are not distributed by the government. The grower had a crop I'd never seen before, of white flowers even more beautiful than the first. Sego lilies, they call them. One of the others with me knew what they were. You can eat the bulb. Both growers denied knowing that you could use the plants for food. They both asserted that their interest was in the flower, they insisted the plants were new to them, and they uh, cultivated them as research for the blossoms. When the Mormon pioneers came across the plains and settled in Salt Lake City, Utah... (laughs) The Sega lilies were the things that saved them from starvation. So the <laughs> fact that the Sega lilies was included in this book, I started hysterically laughing. Hysterically laughing. So um, I, I read that scene and then I like flipped to the back to read her little author profile and I was like, yep. And then I flipped right back and kept reading. 
I just wanted to say, so the three of them are arguing about whether or not the farmers knew that these were a food source and were trying to grow them to support the rebellion or if they were not. Um, And so her mom is the deciding vote and she says that she could tell how scared they were when they visited and she knew that the farmers knew what they were doing. And so she turns them into the government to, like, take care of her family because she's like, if they knew I was lying... I had to sacrifice them for my family. Right. Um, And honestly, her mom and dad are way more interesting than Cassia because, like, you learn about characters through the decisions that they make when they are faced with a really difficult decision. Cassia isn't faced with any difficult decisions besides maybe the matching thing with Kai. It's not even really a decision. (laughs) Right. Everything else just kind of happens to her. But her parents are faced with these really interesting decisions, like her grandfather telling her dad, I want you to destroy my sample after I'm gone. Or the government officials telling her, you need to turn in these rebels. I want to know way more about her parents than I want to know about Cassia, <laughs> the bootlicking teenager right. who is horny for two boys. Right. Like We've come to a point in the book where Kai and Cassia have admitted to each other that they are in love. Somehow, some way. I, I mean, they have zero chemistry. I'm confused on how that happened. Um, but she is... It's that sweet, sweet insta-love. <laughs> she is becoming more and more aware of how much she wants, like, in her life that the society doesn't offer. So she's like, now I want everything. More and more and more. I want to pick my work position. Marry who I choose. Eat pie for breakfast and run down a real street instead of on a tracker, (laughs) which is a treadmill. Um, Go fast when I want and slow when I want. Decide which poems I want to read and what words I want to write. There is so much that I want. I feel it so much that I am water, a river of want, pooled in the shape of a girl named Cassia. Most of all, I want Kai. This is the shape of water, actually. (laughs) She's about to have sex with water. Water fish man. I have never actually read the book. I don't know what happens. But because she's realized that she wants to be with Kai, she's decided that she has to tell Xander. So she tells Xander that she's in love with Kai. Xander takes it about as well as you could expect him to. So now that she's finally um, come clean about her affair, she is very excited to run and go be with Kai for real. And they hike to the top of the hill, part of their hiking group. They are at the top of the hill, the top of the hill, with their hiking group around them, could burst in at any moment, and they start fucking pulling out poems and her fabric from her dress that she's stolen and, and broken out of the little frame, and... They start exchanging gifts, and then they start kissing. Like, these fuckers are literally on the top (laughs) of a hill. And they're like, yeah, this seems like a subtle, quiet place that is private where we can commit treason. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Although, okay, this is a positive point I would like to throw in. Previously, Cassia has woken up in a panic because she heard, (laughs) quote-unquote, screaming, um, outside, and then it turns out that they were actually just cutting down their trees because in communist Utah, there can be no trees if the trees are not equal. And the trees were not equal, so they had to go. Gotta yeah. get rid of those trees. Yeah. Um, but then this next chapter, after kissing Kai, <laughs> opens there is screaming in the burrow again, and this time it is human. 10 out of 10 chapter opening. Love it. Love that. 
turns out the screaming is because Kai is being actually abducted by the white windowless van. (laughs) It is not just subtext. It is here. His mom is screaming in the street. Hysterically screaming. Yep. Yep. And um, his dad's out there, like, trying to calm her down. But he's obviously very upset as well. And Kai is being taken away. Um, He is... They've locked his hands together. They say that he's going to a new work position, but he's going in the van, so you know he ain't going anywhere good. <laughs> Cassie is very confused. Um, can't figure out what's going on, but she figures that she's not going to see him for a while, if ever again. And so she realizes she can't get to him and won't be able to see anything. And she's like, remembering the words of the poem, she's like, do not go gentle. <laughs> and then, then we get this passage. I see his eyes, bright with life and fire, and I know he won't stop fighting, even if it's the kind of quiet fight on the inside that you can't always see, and I won't stop fighting either. And do you know what she does? (laughs) In the middle of all the noise, I point to the sky. I hope he understands what I mean, because I mean so many things. My heart will always fly his name. I won't go gentle. I'll find a way to soar like the angels in the stories, and I will find him. And I know he understands as he looks straight at me. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to rebel. <laughs> it like points her finger at the sky. And he's like, ah, yes, your heart will always fly my name. You won't go gentle and you will soar like the angels in the stories. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but we do get a bit more information about whatever the fuck is going on in this place. Um, because Patrick, Kai's father, just snaps loses his shit and he just starts yelling at the officials that they're lying and telling everybody what's going on uh and he says the war with the enemy capital e isn't going well they need more people to fight all of the original villagers are dead all of them i should have known they'd take aberrations first i should have known kai would be on the list i thought since we'd been through so much and then his mom joins in and she's like we forgot sometimes but he never did he knew it was coming Um, he's going to die. It's a death sentence back there. And then she starts screaming at the officials again. They haul them off. So we find out there's some sort of war going on against some sort of enemy on the border. The enemy has been, I guess, killing the villagers in the outer districts? I don't know. That's all we get. But it's something. And then Kai is gone. Gone in the white van forever. Um, and Cassie has decided that it is, she's going to take it upon herself to find him. Point we're getting to the end, and I'm tired because none of that was a plot or made me concerned or worried at all. Right. We are ending on a conversation with Xander and Cassia where they're talking about the little red pills. Because when Kai gets taken away, it caused such a disturbance that everyone in the neighborhood comes outside to see what's going on. The officials, after he's taken, may ask everyone to take these red pills. And you're like, is this Jonestown? Are they all going to die? Are they drinking the (laughs) Kool-Aid? They just make you forget things. Right. Cassia intentionally does not take the red pill. The official knows that she doesn't take the red pill, but wants her to remember what's happened. When we're having this conversation with Xander, Xander reveals that the red pills don't work on him. So he's like, "I, I remember what happened to Kai. And she is like, how the fuck do you remember that? And he's like, "Me, the red pills don't work on Kai and they don't work on me. We tested them when we were younger. 
So we already knew that our our memories would not be erased from the last 12 hours. So kids do actually test them out, it turns out. But since they just make you forget things, I assume they don't remember you would it. just you would just forget that you took it and think that you'd lost your pill. And when you go to the officials and are like, hey, my red pill is gone, they'd know exactly what happened. You then find out. So, so Xander says, you know, they don't work on me. They work on Cassia because... You find out later on that everyone in the borough has actually taken at least one red pill before. Xander won't tell her what the context of that was, but he's like, the whole neighborhood has had to take them before. Right, and she's like, he has his secrets and I have mine. And I'm like, no, no, wait, I want to know what right, happened me too. before. Me too. So yeah, anyways, I guess that's the book. <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts. I guess my final thought is... Obviously, this whole wave of books started coming out after The Hunger Games because The Hunger Games was so successful and changed, I mean, changed YA literature forever and kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths um, in some cases. But I remember Matched being, and maybe it's just because I was living in Utah at the time, but I remember Matched being pretty big for a pretty long time. Yeah. Um, It's one of our most recommended series, so a lot of people are familiar with it. As much as we might make fun of it, she did hit on all of the tropes that interested people at the time. Here's that episode y'all wanted. We did it. You're welcome. (laughs) Never say we didn't do anything for you. (laughs) Um, My final thought is that our listeners know us too well this was like a perfect selection honestly i mean it had everything i love it has tropes it has governments that don't make any sense it has (laughs) shitty romances where you're not really sure where they popped out of like it's just all of my favorite combinations in the books that we read in one but uh, I still hated it. So I like the random capitalization. That was my favorite part. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> and the criminal six-year-olds. Random capitalization and criminal six-year-olds were my favorite part. Ooh, I want to know. I'm going to make a poll. I haven't made a poll in so long. I love making polls. They make me feel powerful. Um, and more people respond to them because I'm not making you type actual words. So um, I'm going to make a poll that asks uh, if you support matching yes or no if you would like to see that implemented in our current everyday life my answer is yes yeah 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 yeah. but like we're saying matched in a not in the context of this book per se more in like a your life would go on as it is now the only difference is is that your love life would be predetermined so like you're not living in a weird communist but also fascist society you just don't have to worry about who you love i actually wrote a full-ass review of this book on my goodreads so you can go find it there i don't do that very often because i'm lazy for some reason the formatting isn't working great on the app so i have one short sentence towards the end that i hid because it might give away parts of the ending of the book um so read the review online if you don't want that spoiler it will hide it for you. You can skip it. Um, but my book recommendation, <laughs> bringing that word back um, for the month, is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. It is his debut novel. So the summary is, uh, the rules of Blackheath. Evelyn Hardcastle will be murdered at 11 p.m. There are eight days and eight witnesses for you to inhabit. 
We will only let you escape once you tell us the name of the killer. Understood? Then let's begin. Evelyn Hardcastle will die every day until Aiden Bishop can identify her killer and break the cycle. But every time the day begins again, Aiden wakes up in the body of a different guest, and some of his hosts are more helpful than others. There are multiple threads tied up, so there's not just one mystery. You're trying to solve Evelyn's murder, obviously, but there's also the mystery of how Aiden got to where he is, and who is kind of pulling the strings on this whole situation because there's there's some supernaturally vibes um in the body swapping that he goes through um there's a mysterious guide guiding him through each day and everything is tied together so well and i was worried because of the supernatural elements that it would be disappointing or that the author would just be like magic and throw it in your face and then run away but he actually explains everything very well um, the ending is a little bit ambiguous, which I love, and but you do get answers to all of your questions. Um, so 10 out of 10 would recommend. Short anecdote, I went into Barnes & Noble to buy his second one that just barely came out, and the lady at the checkout was like, okay, what is this book? It just came out yesterday, and I've already sold five of them in hardback. <laughs> um, so don't just take my word for it take the market's word for it it's a very good halloween spooky thriller book so my non-book recommendation we're pre-recording this quite a bit but this is our last episode that comes out before election day my recommendation is get your fucking ass up and go vote election day is november 3rd if you are registered, if you have same-day registration available in your state, go vote. If you feel safe doing that. If you feel safe going to a poll, go do it. Or fill out your ballot and drop it into a drop box. I cannot emphasize how important it is to vote. This is the most important election that has happened in our lifetime. At least mine and yours. I'm assuming that most of our listeners are around our same age. Make your voice heard. Yes, seconded. And if you... Uh, also, please don't fucking vote for Kanye West. I can't even believe I really have to say that, but, like, don't vote for Kanye West. <laughs> you don't have to tell our listeners that. They're not that stupid. <laughs> nope, you're right. And if you're outside of the U.S., um, just make sure that you are supporting your American friends who are choosing to vote. And, yeah, good on you for, for not being here. <laughs> jealous <laughs> god i don't want to i don't want to say i'll probably cut that out i don't want to be too flippant about things because i know that there are natural disasters and horrible things going on actually all over right now but um yes this election is is kind of terrifying for all of us so on that um, fun on note. A, yeah on a slightly <laughs> more positive note um if you have any book recommendations for us to do on our podcast please let us know i mean this reading matched has done nothing if not prove that our listeners know how to choose good books for this podcast so please 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 send those in um we also wanted to let you guys know just remember that our next episode is attachments by rainbow rowell so if you wanted to follow along with that you can and come interact with us on uh twitter and social media we would love to hear from y'all, even if it's not in a book recommendation setting, um, but just talking about, you're always welcome to um, 
ask questions and post about books and funny tropes and characters, and we would love to hear from you. Also, if you want to fill our hearts and souls with happiness, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Spread the word to your friends. That would be greatly appreciated. So yeah, anyways, the more uh, I people guess with that... that- The more people that rate this podcast, the more it gets out, the more content we are able to provide for you. And with that, uh, we will see you guys next week. Not with our eyes. But with our our mouths. mouths.